My name is Cindy Carpian. I was introduced this morning as, um, as a producer for Morning Edition, but as we all know, we, we all come from somewhere else. We all have different roads to radio. And I think in a group like this, because there are a lot of people who um, may be interested in a career in radio or already or just starting, it's always interesting to know how people got where they are. So I will tell you that currently I am a part-time senior producer for NPR's Morning Edition, working out of my home in Palo Alto, California, where I juggle family and work. I am fully equipped with the Pro Tools M-Box at home, and I send mixed stories to NPR Washington through my high-speed Internet connection. And if I had told myself that two years ago that that's what I'd be doing, I would have been totally shocked. So if I can do it, anybody can. But it's a long way from my original career in radio. I was the only person that I knew of at NPR who actually majored in communications. I edited mixed, crudely, stories at my college radio station. And then I started at NPR at midnight, the same day I took my last college final in 1979. I was almost part of the original Morning Edition staff. I came on about a month later. So technically they consider me that because there's really not many of those people around anymore except for that gentleman right there, Jay Kernis. And this was in the old NPR newsroom. I cut news spots and wrote the sports scores until one night I inadvertently switched the basketball and hockey scores. So I wrote, here are the basketball scores, Boston 2, Chicago 1. It was the first time Bob Edwards ever spoke to me. He caught my mistake. I was so shocked. You know, like, what a smart man. He actually realized that I had switched them. Okay. Um, I lasted at NPR for 17 years. Um, The last nine were as the senior producer for Weekend Edition Saturday with Scott Simon. I then decided um, I wanted a complete life change. I had two children. I picked up and left and went to northern Arizona uh, where I uh, worked worked and worked part time and raised my family. That was for six years, and I worked at KNAU, the member station there, and it was some of the most wonderful years I think of my career. Um, working with um, young reporters, there were a number of them are in college coming through the system, and then watching them all go on and doing amazing things. One of them, Matt Martinez, who is um, uh, an associate producer at National Public Radio now and various various people around. So it's been uh, so so rewarding for me. So I have to tell you, though, that in those early years, uh, we all learned on the spot. Uh, there was no training. My mentor, <clears throat> Jay, can I please embarrass you again? Don't put your head down. You look, look like I'm not going to look at you. Or anything. Okay. Um, Jay taught us really by caring a lot about radio and being incredibly good at what he did. And so I always say that we learned by osmosis since there really was no time for training. And uh, certainly not, not his fault. It's certainly just by nature of what radio, radio was in those days. So seeing what goes on now, and I mentioned this earlier in, in this morning, um, the number of outlets for young people at the high school level and, at the, and into the college level is astounding to me. Um, the idea that you can have early in, introduction, hands-on, mentors in various forms. Um, but it's learning expression. If you're learning, if you're writing, if you're learning how to use the technology, um, getting you to think about other things and express yourself in many different ways is so key. So even if you're not going on to radio, what you're learning 
is so important to your future. I, I can't begin to tell you. If, it would have saved me a lot of tormented years if I had that. Um, I have invited Ellen O'Leary. Ellen is, Ellen, tell me your exact title. Is it executive? Must be executive. Executive something, yeah. yeah. Um, executive producer. Of uh, Youth Radio in Berkeley, and I'm actually going to start working a little more closely with uh, Youth Radio um, for Morning Edition. Um, but Ellen m- must have started the very first of these groups, and I wanted her to just explain a little bit more about it and how it was um, when she created Youth Radio. Uh, I think it's hard to say what was the first, because actually after, after Cindy mentioned that, I was thinking 1990, which was around the time Youth Radio started. But I, the first group I worked for was actually in 1979, called Youth News. And that's like a lifetime ago or a generation ago, obviously. So I was your age, basically. And um, there were a few, at that point, there were just a few groups, and they did grow out of high schools. Um, I think... At that point, it was very much youth news, so it was around news and journalism. When I came back to it at 1990, after 10 years in commercial radio, TV, and, and a period in, at NPR, uh, when we would go around to recruit and say, okay, who wants to be a reporter? No one did. Uh, and this was in the Bay Area where we could get a very diverse group of students, and that was the goal. And I think it, it, what they were interested in, I think what had happened in that 10 years, and we've seen it happen even more in the last 15, is that journalism was a, not a profession that people were aspiring to, like they had when I came up, and the generation of us that came into NPR and public radio. And so what the young people were interested in was music. They were technically really savvy. So that's why when we started at KQED, as wonderful as they were to have us there for a commentary, they were like, this is boring. Uh, we want to play music. We want to, you know, we want to be engineers. We want to do all that. So that, I think, is the creativity that this whole movement has grown out of that these um, amazing productions that everyone is doing is has been that it's open. And maybe that what we what we put on NPR, what we put on our stations is news and talk, but we're, we know that we're also, the young people are leading in music and um, all other kinds of things. I think where we're going now is into the independent youth media, which will be the, the channels and the, the websites that is that that this group has matured to the point and the production that it's beyond the pieces and the individual channels. It'll be people downloading it onto their iPods, it'll be streams, it'll be in Spanish, it'll be in Chinese. So I think it's just really exciting to see to think that, you know, in nineteen ninety there were maybe a few other groups that were visible. I'm sure they were they were happening. Thank you. Yeah, that's it. Great. Thank you. Okay. So we have representatives here today and I have to tell you I've I've been listening uh, listened many times to each of their stories and they're so much fun. And just to hear um, how how fresh and their perspectives and hearing it out of out of their hearts is is really wonderful. So we have um, we have radio rookies. We have uh, uniquely spoken, the Kebu Collective, and Las Hermanas, which is is part of Kebu. Uh, you both it's in the you, Tonali. Tonali is the name of the uh, the, the program, yeah. right? But so, what's La, Las Hermanas? Las Hermanas. It was the group that um, was hosting the show. Oh, sorry. Okay, the sisters, right? Yeah, the sisters. 
Okay, so what we're, um, what I'd like to first tell you what I did when I was reading all this the bio information about all the groups, what I discovered, um, of course, was that there were certain things that they all have in common, th- their goals, and I was really, um, it was really interesting to see how the common phrases, you know, were obviously kept popping up. But this is, these are some of the phrases that I pulled from all of them that I think that they would all agree is, is similar. Strive to train young people to use radio, to report on themselves, their communities, and issues important to them, to bring fresh perspectives to the audience, to teach skills necessary to create radio stories, to create a forum where youths from many backgrounds can meet, talk, and work together, empower you through access to the broadcast media and to teach verbal expression, writing, and critical thinking. I think that's a pretty amazing group of information to, to take with us. So what, what we're going we're gonna to start with um, radio, radio Rookies. The piece you're going to hear called Meeting the Republicans, which I mentioned this morning, um, Shakima Swain is not here today, and I have, because I have my notes here, sorry, Verilyn Williams. Um, we'll also hear uh, uh, some pieces of, of Verilyn's, uh, sections of a piece that she's working on. Um, but I do uh, uh, want to tell you all, I haven't mentioned this yet, but instead of having to go like this every time I talk with you, when Verilyn is finished and the next person is up, I want you to grab your sign and move on down next to me if you don't mind, okay? Just do musical chairs. Thanks. Okay, Radio Rookies. Um, conducts workshops throughout New York City, mainly in low-income neighborhoods. And doing these, during these workshops, the re- rookie reporters learn radio journals, journalism from professional journalists, everything from how to conduct an interview to how to edit audio digitally. And at the completion of these workshops, um, the pieces air on WNYC and are sometimes rebroadcast nationally, as many of us have heard them on NPR's All Things Considered and various other programs. And which I also think is interesting is that the stories are often are used by educators in classrooms around New York City. So that should give you an idea of the organization that Verilyn um, works with. So we're going to hear first um, a story, Meeting the Republicans. This is a first-time voter who um, decided to take off to the Republican National Convention to get an idea of what is the mindset of, um, of, of Republicans. She just, she just literally wanted to know that this is right, right? Do you, want to, do you want to say something before, sure. Serena? Serena, because um, Shakima is not here, um, Serena Patel, who is the producer of um, Radio Rookies, worked with um, Shakima, so she can give you a little idea, unless you want to just play the piece first and then talk. Well, just, just to set it up, you know, we, we knew when the Republican National Convention was coming to New York that we wanted to do something with it. We didn't really know what. We had spoken to Shakima about doing a story, and she said she wanted to. Um, but up until, like, the week before, we didn't really have a plan about what it would be. And the week before, you know, I basically just called her up and said, so tell me about your politics. And uh, what I discovered is that uh, she had, when she registered, she actually, as you'll hear in the beginning of her piece, uh, decided that she wasn't ready to affiliate with a party. And so... For us, uh, it presented the opportunity that going to the Republican convention could allow her to meet some Republicans, which is not too easy to do in New York. Um, so that's what she did. She went to the Republican convention to find out what it meant to be Republican. Thanks. 
18-year-old radio rookie Shakima Swain will be a first-time voter this November. She knows there are two major political parties, but she doesn't know many Republicans. Most of her friends and family members are either Democrats or they're non-citizens. This week's Republican convention provided her a unique opportunity. My mother says picking a party is like picking a soda. If you see everybody drinking Pepsi, you're going to want to drink Pepsi, too. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. My mother's cooking. My mother is a Democrat. The reason why I'm a Democrat, I guess, is one ship follow the other ship because everybody in my family is a Democrat. I'm not a follower, and if I'm going to do something, it's because I want to. Two months ago, I turned 18. Soon after that, a young guy came up to me and asked if I was registered to vote and if I was single. I laughed, but even though I wasn't interested in him, I filled out the voter registration form because I want to vote in November. Everything on the form was easy to answer until it came time for me to choose a party. I think Bush is so caught up in war and I want to get him out of office. But just because I hate Bush doesn't mean I have to automatically put Democrat. While I'm on West 33rd and 8th Avenue and I'm about to go into Madison Square Garden to see... Laura Bush and Arnold Schwarzenegger. With the Republicans coming to New York City, I could get personal. You know, talk one-on-one with them. So I went to the RNC. I've just heard from other people that Republicans are bad people. They don't care about the smaller people with families and children. They don't care unless it's for their business. It's like communists or no conservatives. They're like that. One of the first Republicans I met was 18, like me. Sarah Parks is a volunteer at the convention, and her first time voting was in a primary in May, where she voted for her father. He's a Republican running for Congress in Arkansas. I asked Sarah what's important to her. What do you believe in? Um, I guess I would say uh, lower government, uh, less government, uh, lower taxes, uh, family values. Um, uh, I believe that marriage is the union of one man and one woman, period. Um, I'm pro-life. I would call myself fairly conservative. I'm not really as informed about politics as Sarah seems to be. I know I'm pro-choice and that I care a lot about education, immigration, and jobs. I want to know where the Republicans stand on those issues. So I approached this lady who caught my eye with her stylish outfit. She had on a simple camo-colored suit, but the thing that stood out the most was her huge pearls. Mary's an African-American Republican delegate from Missouri. Our party stands for education and it's your responsibility. No one is going to come into your house and say, open those books. That's the job of the parents. You've heard that it takes a village. Well, we don't live in a village. In the village, you've got the village idiot. You've got the village pervert. It is up to the parents to raise their children. Not the village, not the government. I agree with Mary, but up to a certain point. The government should be more involved when it comes to kids because it's not the kids' fault when they're not learning at home. And keeps their eye on the prize. After walking my way through the convention talking to delegates, I was starting to get that being self-sufficient is a big deal to Republicans. That is something that I respect. I feel like if you don't have a job, you need to go get a job. My mom feels like if you don't have a job, the government needs to help you. If my mom didn't have the government assistance she gets now, like food stamps, it will be bad. She does not rely as heavily on assistance as other people in my community do. A lot of them use it as something that is owed to them, and I don't think that's healthy. Mary with the big pearls also makes a point that when there is less government, there is more money for her. I think the first thing that a young person should do is look at their paycheck. If you say, I want to send it all to the government, you'll be a Democrat. And if you say, I want to keep it for myself, 
you'll be a Republican. I think I'm feeling these Republicans. I enjoy my money and I know the best way to spend it. Thank you very much. I met another delegate who I related to even though he was a pro-lifer. Abortion. I do not support abortion. Uh, I believe that uh, women uh, and men need to be certainly more responsible in their uh, actions. And I think that if men and women were responsible in their actions, that would certainly eliminate this need for uh, abortion. That guy, Don, had on a sequin green and gold African robe with a wooden cane to match. But despite his original fashion sense, I agree that people should think twice before acting. But I am still pro-choice. I expected the delegates to be snobby towards me. But they were all, oh, hi, darling. (laughs) Honestly, I was getting mad when no one really talked about anything they disagreed with the party about. They sugarcoated everything. Still, I felt so important with my press credentials, especially when I went right up to the side of the stage when Arnold Schwarzenegger, the California governor, spoke about the economy. Who are so pessimistic about our economy? I say, don't be economic girly man. Well, he didn't directly speak about the economy. In fact, I didn't hear anyone talk about creating more jobs. But calling the critics economic girly man, <laughs> that's a classic. <laughs> Maybe it's the accent, muscles, or acting skills, but his speech was the best part of my night. I identify with what he said it means to be a Republican, and at that moment, I felt like one. And then, the Bush twins spoke. Jamie, we love you dearly, but you're just not very hip. <laughs> She thinks sex in the city is something married people do, but never talk about Thanks to the teleprompter twins, I instantly remembered how much I disliked their father. (laughs) After seeing how phony they were on stage, I didn't see myself as a Republican anymore. To top it all up, one of the twins then has the nerve to say that the Bushies can shake it like a Polaroid picture. Moving on to more intelligent people. WWE wrestler Chris Lewinsky from SmackDown Your Vote, a nonpartisan group, wants to get young people like me out to vote. He says what I was doing at the RNC is what other young people should be doing. And it's okay if I'm still stuck in that undeclared box, which I am. So I would say pick the party that makes you feel most comfortable. But if you don't, want, if if you're not comfortable, it's totally fine to be an independent, you know, an undeclared, because uh, you can learn, you know, as, as you go along. What's funny is that after all the Republicans and delegates went home, the person who helped me put it all together was I Dave. I don't vote along any party lines. A cop guard in the convention hall overnight. I go for the individual politician if. I like what I've read about him and what his views are. What led you to the decision not to be in a party? Because I just feel that I shouldn't be pressured to to vote for any particular person just because I belong to that particular group. I agree with Dave. I don't want to be weighed down to one party either. After the convention, I can honestly say that I identify with Republicans, especially the self-sufficiency part of their message. But I still want to be open to different beliefs. I believe in self-sufficiency, but I don't believe in war. I'm pro-choice, but I also believe in family values. So now, when I get that voter registration form back, I'm going to check independent. Before, I thought independent was a gay party. Now I understand it's for people like Dave and me.
For WNYC, I'm rookie reporter Shakima Swain. Well, I told you this morning that this was one election story that you hadn't heard before. Um, that was amazingly refreshing, didn't you think? I mean, there's. I would love to hear from somebody in the audience to see why is that so different from most of the things you hear on the air. Does anybody want to give their thoughts? You can go up to that microphone over there. <laughs> I think it was nicer to listen to you because for once it was truthful opinion instead of just the facts being shouted at you. Right. You really heard what she was, what she really felt, what she really thought. She was allowed that, that breath. I was actually, I have to tell you that, um, and, I, and I told Zarina this, I, I, it was so much fun listening to this story and then having that moment at the end with uh, the guard in the hall. And uh, Jay Allison mentioned that this morning, and I felt the same way when I was listening to this piece, that you, know, you have all the noise behind you, and then all of a sudden there's a moment where you take it down into you know, so that quiet moment where you can kind of gather your thoughts, and here she puts this, this gentleman in at the end, and it's quiet in the hall. And that had, had a profound effect on me the first time I, very first time I listened to it. I've actually heard it about three or four times. Um, but that was a very special moment for me in the piece. Um, anybody else? Yeah. Just to say why, why I think it's a brilliant piece. <laughs> why I think it's a brilliant piece is because the other way you could have done it, what could have been done, is with the 18-year-old Republican. Why I'm a Republican. And she came out with, she had all the answers. She had everything there. Yes. And, and it's a million times more interesting doing it with yes. Shakima than doing it with her. And it's that decision. Exactly. You know, it's it, it what really makes it kind of leap out of the speakers. And it was her quest, too. That was her quest to go out and actually pursue that, and that was a really wonderful. Is there something you want to say? Is there, is there yeah, I just say, um, in general, I think with many of our Radio Rookie stories, it is about a journey, and um, that's an approach that we use in different ways, but uh, in, in many stories. Um, I just wanted to say about the, the last interview, um, we, we're in a workshop right now with these guys, Derek and Chico and Kat and Vera, and I'm constantly, you know, bugging them to always leave the mini disc on and never turn it off and take it wherever you are. And, you know, we really believe in that. And for all you younger folks out there, do it. Because, you know, we were supposedly done with the reporting and Shakima had come back. The Republican conventions in Madison Square Garden, and there were all these areas in the back where they put the radio people. So we went to the back where WNYC had its space. And another rookie, Munir, had been doing security overnight for each night of the convention. So he was getting paid just to watch our equipment. And he had made this friend with this cop uh, who just used to check in on him and make sure he was warm enough and... And that, that cop, David, come over to say hi to Muneer. And we got to talking and, you know, said, hey, can we interview you? And at first he, he, didn't, want, he didn't want that, and then he let Shakima interview him. Um, and it was great. And we wouldn't have known that, but it's, it's about, you know, going for the unexpected and talking to the people who you wouldn't think would be the people who might have the answers that you're looking for. Another observation that I made is uh, Shakima didn't have the assignment to find African Americans. She was just told to go ask questions and talk to people. And uh, I noticed when she came back with her tape that she had gravitated to a lot of African American people. And so she had Mary and then this guy, 
Dawn and she told you both about their clothing. Uh, Shakima's other story, if you go to our website, her first radio story was about fashion obsession. So <laughs> I might tell you a little bit more also <laughs> about that part of her, or of her piece. And the last thing I just wanted to mention is that we spend months and months on most of the pieces that we produce. Um, this one aired about 70 hours after we did the reporting, uh, which is not the pace that we normally work at. So, um, missed her first week in college, too. She missed her first week in college. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had 5 a.m. all-nighters for three nights in a row. But uh, it was fun. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, I'm sorry uh, Shakima wasn't here, so you could have here in person. But we do have Marilyn Williams, who um, is a freshman at Hunter College, um, and she's interested in theater and journalism, and she also works at the Youth Theater Company. Part of a youth theater company. Part of the youth theater, okay. Yes. And she, um, you brought elements of, of a story yes. um, that you're working on. They're just, like, they're a few minutes each, right? Uh-huh, my story's not finished yet, so these are like some of the interviews that we got, and some pieces that we think are, we're going to be important to the story. And basically, my story is about me trying to figure out what my status is because as I started, you know, getting into college and trying to file for financial aid to go to college, I realized that even though I've been here since I was three months, that I couldn't, I, I don't know what my status is. Like, we didn't, I don't have permanent residency. So my story is basically me trying to figure out what my status is. And as I was asking questions, I found that a lot of people didn't want me to do the story. So you can start it. <laughs> the first piece. It's your uncle. Yeah, this is my <laughs> uncle. <laughs> yeah. They're trying to get rid of people from this country, Villain. You do not want to go like this here, me. You do not want to do that, Villain. Why don't you ask about what I'm doing to... Everybody keeps saying, do something, do something, do something. And I'm trying to do something, and everybody... I never said do something. So we don't want to sit in La La Land for the rest of my life? I said, what I told you to do is go to your dad. I've been going to him for freaking four years. Okay, Bigelin, Bigelin, that's your, but, 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 okay, so you put the blame on your dad. I didn't make the choice to come here, and basically what you're saying for me is to sit here and wait for him to do something? Bigelin, Bigelin, believe it or not, when your dad came over here, that's the best thing he could have done for you. Okay? Do not, you don't understand. You do not understand. If somebody gets their green card, they're supposed to put their dependent under it. I was supposed to bring get a green card. Tell me why that's not, why I don't well, have You should be mad at your dad for not doing that from the so what am I, So I'm supposed to sit here and be mad? Really? Because, you, because you, you're mad at him, you want to get... I'm not the, even mad at him. See, excuse me, you're asking me what are your choices. Are you supposed to sit here and be mad? Okay, there's one thing you could do. You could sit here and be mad, right? The other thing is, good, is, is you could get yourself deported, right? Which is what I firmly believe you're on the gods of doing. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not, because right now all I'm doing is asking people questions and they put me up with an immigration lawyer. They're not going to put anything on the radio that's going to hurt me. First of all, journalism or media, there's certain things that, laws that come by the media in the first place. So even if I go on the media and say, I'm, not, I'm more protected that way than I am right now. Really? Do you understand that September 11 has changed, changed the rules of the game? They have lawyers there, Nathan. Really? Do you they talk to mommy, you and mommy agreed with it now. I'm about to go interview her. Why don't you know the fact before you sit here and start jumping in my face? Okay, do not talk to your uncle Nathan that way. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to get up in your face or whatever. I'm just telling you my opinions, okay? But and I'm telling you because I have your best interests at heart. And that seems to be the problem that everybody thinks they have my best interests at heart, and they don't realize that this is my life and this is what I'm going through. 
the next person that you're going to listen to is my mom. But the way I look at it, it could have been worse for you. We could have been in a situation where we wouldn't have been able to pay for your college fees. And hopefully by the time you finish, you know, things I know will be better. You have to be optimistic. You can't just sit back and say, well, things would have been better. Right now, I think you're having a pretty good deal. Do you think that I'm not grateful for the things that you and dad do for me? I think you're very ungrateful because you're not aware of what some other people go through. And we, I think we make sacrifices for you. And in a way, I think if you did have your, your um, green card, you would have showed ungratefulness even more. Because maybe you would have left or you would have done certain things maybe that you shouldn't have done. So not having it, I think, is helping you in a way that maybe you don't even realize because it's, it's giving you that strength to try to do well. Because you have people in this country who are born here or who have green card and they do nothing with their life. And um, so that's pretty much the two reactions, people telling me to be grateful, but then other people like my brother, who you're going to hear next, really like, you're my sister, what are you talking about? You, what do you mean that we're different? So, yeah, you can play him now. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a citizen like you and Lavasar. So I'll just get the green card. Yeah. And do you think it's easy to get a green card? I'm not sure. How do you get a green card? You have to apply for it, and sometimes it takes years to get it. Then just stay with your normal job until you, the time comes until you get it. Uh, how come uh, my mom and my dad have a job? Um, Daddy has a green card, and when you have a green card, that means you're a legal immigrant. And now he's a, that's, you, always, you ever heard me ask him to, to, why he's not filing the papers? You ever heard me hear us arguing about that? No. You don't remember when we, when we argue about like me getting a job and stuff like that, and then filing for me and for school and stuff? You ever heard us arguing about that? No. Well, how do you feel about that? That you don't know what's going on between, you know, something that's very important in my life? I'm not sure. I mean, how do you feel? Do you feel angry? Do you feel okay with it? Or do you don't feel anything? I don't feel anything. Oh, well, I feel sad. <laughs> because you're my brother and you, feel, and you love me? No. <laughs> oh. Do you have any other questions? Anything that you want to know about my status and my immigration? Or something that you always wanted to know? Or something that you want to know now that I'm talking to you about it? Uh, not really. So that's basically it. Like, <laughs> yeah. How old is your brother? My brother is 12. So, yeah, he's younger and doesn't understand, you know. So it was good, like, talking to him and seeing, like, he really doesn't know anything about it. And personally, myself, like, I really didn't know anything about my immigration until I wanted to work and... I wanted to f- file for financial aid for school and stuff like that. So it's something that we just didn't talk about. And that's part of the problem, and that's one of the things I'm going to address in my story, is that it should be something that we talk about so that way people are aware that, you know, even though, you know, I grew up just like everybody else. I went to school with my peers and everything, and they're going on to higher education like I am, but I'm just limited in what I could do now. So these are all the elements in your story? Yeah. I mean, there's other, um, like, interviews and stuff, but... What, what else? What else? I interviewed my dad and my, and other parts of my mom's interview, and they do, a, um, like, a to me and lay back and stuff. But, I mean, like, if you realize that you were laid back, then why didn't you do anything about it? So it's like, 
it's kind of like, I don't know, like everybody treats it as it's not a big deal when it's such a big deal. So now that you have these interviews, what are you going to do next? What's your next step? Well, I'm an, I mean, I also interviewed an immigration lawyer and okay. um, the immigration hotline. And now I do have kind of a sense of what my status is. So we're just going to put it like my focus is kind of still kind of blurry, and that's why the story is not done. So that's pretty much the next step, like just putting everything together. So do you see this as a combination of a personal essay and a reporter piece about or well, you're, not, this is going to be just a total personal? Well, it's definitely a personal story, but I think that through my, through my personal experience, other people will gain a lot of things of something that's not being talked about. And now what is, in the next step in the process, you will sit down or you will sit down with, let's say, uh, Serena or somebody else over there at Radio mm-hmm. Rookies? I mean, this is, this is how it works. Yeah, we sit down and Serena tells me what to do now. I'm just so, so, so you, Serena <laughs> <laughs> tells you what to do. <laughs> well, should we She's give you going on all night about <laughs> Whoops. Okay. So, so, but you have all the elements and you are now ready to sit down and start thinking about how you want to focus this and how you want uh-huh. to. I mean, I'm sure something might pop up, like, you know. Like we're thinking about talking to uh, um, like a financial somebody with the school component, yeah. like somebody that probably dealt with this before, and see from their point of view how it is. I know we we need to move on with the panel, but I just want to ask you this one question: Have you thought about where you actually what tape or what scene or what moment you want to start your story with? No. Have you? Okay. <laughs> That's no. a good place to start. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody have anything else to say? Advice? Yes, David. I say. Microphone. Hi. That tape was incredible. Wasn't that wonderful? They're going to have such an amazing yes. piece when you Thank you. I'm together. sorry. I forgot to say that. Oh, man. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. But were, were you, when, when you did that scene with your uncle, was someone else taping that or did you tape it? Oh, well, I actually started off interviewing him, but he was just like, I don't want to be interviewed. I don't want to be interviewed. So I got really upset. I actually started crying and everything. But I left the recorder on. So, <laughs> so then we just started going into this, um, this big discussion on why I want to do the story. And that's where that came from. So it was just you two in the room when you did Yeah, that? just me two on, wow. him in the room. Well, you did a great job. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was in my room. <laughs> you do have to be careful about those because you have to make sure that people understand what's being said, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I just want to echo the praise you just heard, but I want to say that this is, an, this is an issue that is not getting talked about the way you're talking yes. about it. And it's your mm-hmm. personal story, but it's happening all over the place. It's happening in Baltimore, where I'm from. It's happening in, in New York. And the charged conversation that you were able to capture with your uncle is... Speaking of metaphors, that, that charge is the metaphor that surrounds the, the, uh, this topic. And, and you have an incredible opportunity with that story to do something that's so much bigger, like just so much bigger than you could imagine because it's mm-hmm. of, the, of the emotion that you were able to capture there and the honesty and the truth that's just in your voices when you're talking about a decision that's been made to protect certain people that has threatened the safety of so many other people. And I, I just want to applaud you and to, to 
I'm a teacher, so I'm always talking about the <laughs> I mean, there's so much more that you're, um, that, you know, these young people are capable of. And, and I just feel like so excited for you because what I see happening is that the youth are able to, because they are marginalized and their voices aren't heard and they're told, your time hasn't come yet. No, you can't vote. They are able to, um, all of them, I think, are able to better empathize with the marginalized of our cultures that need to be heard. So I applaud mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Thank you. We, we will find that all the story, that's what's really wonderful about these whole panels, actually. All of these issues coming from all of these young people, that's exactly what you hear. They're personal stories that you won't hear anywhere else. That's really great to bring up. You're off the hook. Oh, can so I? Seats. Oh, I'm oh, can sorry. I, can I, I just wanted to say that... Um, you know, you can teach people how to use a, a tape recorder, but um, you can't teach them courage or, or heart. And there's so much of that in, in that tape that you played. So, like, go for it. Good stuff. <laughs> Good. <Thank> great. <laughs> All right. Musical chairs. Alia, right? Yes. Alia Jackson. Um. So Alia is uh, the group she's with, um, I'm getting it, Uniquely Spoken, um, puts media in the hands of uh, Baltimore's youth, um, uh, mostly in the um, inner city. Is that what you'd say? Um, and this fall they are um, beginning a, a collaborative project called Voices of the Other at St. Francis Academy, an African-American Catholic high school. Um, and it says here that English history and religion teachers um, are going to take on an interdisciplinary study of the history of immigration in the U.S. And I, I guess yes. what's happening is uniquely spoken, they uh, yes. will be helping the students yes. record interviews with immigrants and produce um, audio pieces. So just to give you an idea of what the a little bit of what the group is doing, and. Um, Alia um, is a graduate. You're a graduate from St. Francis yes. Academy. You are 18. Yes. Okay. And uh, you've been storytelling for 10 years? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. When I was younger, I just, like, telling, like, everybody my experiences. I would tell my mom, like, oh, guess what happened at school today? And I would, like, start all the way from the beginning. She's like, all right, we'll get to the point. I was like, I got I to gotta build up to a climax. <laughs> so I would always do stuff like that. And that's why I, I would keep my family members entertained, like, Christmas, Thanksgiving, because I would always come up with something to say. And that's how my, like, I like to think that I'm the one who entertains my family. <laughs> I'm like the clown. <laughs> well, you're beautifully expressive. Thank you. Say that. Um, and you also write poetry. Yeah. Okay. So what? Okay. And wait, the best part is that you want to become a chef. You yeah. live in New York now. You want to become a chef. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, you, your story is called um, by uh, by faith and not by sight. It's a very, very personal, very intense story. Yeah. I don't really think we need to set it up because I think it's all in the piece, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Um, I hope. I think from what I remember, it doesn't need set up. Is that correct? So let's hear it. My name is Alia Jackson, and this is my radio diary. Um, recently, I went to Georgia for my first time to see the grandmother that, that I've never met. Yeah, we do. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Th
clothes can fit in there. I done punched, sat on the bag, squeezed the clothes and everything. Nothing more could go in that bag. Even though I, I am upset, and I've been upset that I didn't get to meet her. And one of my life, one of my life goals was to meet her, you know, alive. party type. No, we were like in the butt crack town. <laughs> Nobody was there. Like seven o'clock. So, you know, all the traffic, everything. Just driving along. And all of a sudden we see this big bright light, a Confederate flag waving real slow like a scary movie. And we we're like, oh my God, let's get out of here. <laughs> we're just speeding down. It was just so funny. It was just like, oh my god, what do we get ourselves into? The Confederate flag, oh my god. We're like ducking in our seats because we're scared of the white people. <laughs> He's like, duck down, duck down, duck down. Can you see his face? It was just so funny. We were scared because the truck, the only truckers were on the road. It was just so funny. The death drive was just so, it was funny because we were tired and he, we were just like, just so tired. And I was I was real anxious to you know real anxious to see what you know what's going on, and I was just so happy. We were sitting in the car, and we we're kind of bored, and we we're sitting in the car, and we we're eating, and all of a sudden we noticed this big old Confederate flag. It was just so funny. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny. It's just so funny. It's just like it is waving all slow, like in the scary movies. We just knew he was gonna get shot. <laughs> we just do it. <laughs> It was just so funny. Oh, it was funny. Okay, it's nine o'clock right now, and we're going to the house to um, eat breakfast. My dad's upset because I don't have any dress clothes, and I'm wearing a denim skirt with a pair of diesels, which aren't check um dress clothes. So he's a bit upset right now. So. I think he's probably gonna go and ask on show for some clothes. He's laughing now. Morning, morning, morning. Morning. Tracy, what size shoes you wear? My daughter needs some shoes. You got any shoes? What color are you wearing? What color? I can't. I have to change the whole thing. They said I don't look appropriate. So what color shoes you got, man? What size you wear? No. What size you wear? Eight and a half. I'm trying to see if they'll fit. Because I'm going to put on my boots. I got a short pair. I don't have no shoes. I got boots. I got a little Kmart. Whatever. Yeah, you do. Huh? 
shows. I don't have. I have to get her something. I have to change the whole. I'm gonna try to get her a black skirt. Yeah. Kind of warm. Yeah. We went over to my grandmother's house and I looked through the photo albums. She doesn't have not one picture of her. She doesn't like to take pictures. So it's really hard to try to see some kind of pictures of her when she has zero. I don't even know what she looks like. You know, she doesn't have any pictures. It, I mean, it would be easier on me if she had some kind of picture so I could see what she looks like and then see her in the casket. But she doesn't have any. So it's really hard to, like, to, to even try to visualize it now. Today's the day of the funeral. Um, the funeral starts at 11 o'clock. I just woke up early. I don't know why I woke up early at all, because I had a bad dream. An eternal flame will light the way. As we embrace Sister Mary's memory every day, ye servant who passed their earthly test, grant unto them eternal rest. So rest in peace is our further vow of this earth that you leave now. And we offer this prayer, O Lord above, in loving memory of those we love. Sincere sympathy, Sister Larry Elizabeth Rambo Jackson, from the year 1944 to the year 2004. May your soul rest in peace. Okay, um, I'm back in the hotel room from the, the funeral. It was really, really nice and really, really emotional. I didn't really talk during, I didn't talk through it at all because I was crying and things like that because I finally got to see what she looked like. I got it on the, um, the little paper, um, you know, when she died and stuff. And I don't look anything like her now, but I don't know what she looked like when she was younger. Everybody, like her sister and stuff, said I look just like her. And then when they buried her, she looked so much different. So I didn't even go up to her body to see her in the casket. I just didn't want to. They they, they, want, they wanted me to go up there. I couldn't go up there. I didn't, I didn't want to see her inside the casket. I changed my mind. It was real sad, and everybody was crying and stuff. And I was just upset, because I didn't even get to know her. And then when we put her, we went um, at the grave to go and put her in. And I was so upset in the car, because I was like, oh God, I don't want her to go. I didn't even get to talk to her or communicate with her yet. I didn't want her to leave. And I didn't think it was fair. I didn't even get to meet her. I didn't even want to see her go.
There were so many incredible moments where you really, really felt like you were there. I don't know if everyone else felt that way. There was such an such emotion in that tape. Can you talk to us about your process? What you were I mean, first of all, you knew ahead of time you wanted to take recording equipment with you. Yeah. You talk did you talk it over? Um yeah. We I leave equipment in the classroom and so whoever wants to check it out can. Yeah. And so, what were you what, what were you really thinking at that time? You, you were you were doing other stories. Yeah, I was actually I wasn't even gonna take the tape recorder with me, and I was just gonna tape me and my family, like how silly we are, just tape our, our experiences, and because no one ever believes how crazy my family is, so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll tape them. But I was like, nah, because they're gonna start fronting in front of the, the microphone. I don't want all that. So I was, my father called me like a week before and the funeral and said, oh, your grandmother died. And I was just like, oh, that's sad. Because I wanted to meet her before she died. And, you know, I'm graduating from from high school, and I'm like, oh, I get to see my grandmother now. You know, I have all this time. I could do whatever I want to. I go visit. And, like, I think it was about either March or April she died. And I'm like, okay, she's, she's gone. And I, I wasn't upset about it. I was just like... All right, well, I missed that opportunity. Then when I get the equipment and everything, which is like, I think like the day before, I'll I pack up and leave. So I'm packing and I'm talking to the microphone about what I'm going to do and everything like that, although some of the stuff had gotten erased. But I was talking about how I never got to meet her and my father and her had a bad relationship, and that's why I never got a chance to see her speak to her or anything like that because he didn't like her. I didn't think that was fair, you know. I get to miss out on my grandmother. Now, I know my mother's grandmother, I mean, my mother's mother, and me and her tight. That's my best friend. So when I went to the funeral, everybody's like, oh, Mary was like a mother to me. Well, she wasn't nothing to me. I don't even know this woman. And I'm her first, I'm her, actually, I'm her second granddaughter. And that's not fair at all. So the whole experience was kind of like, Wow, something new every day, you know, learn something new. Like, she never took pictures. Okay, yeah, I look like the lady. I don't know what she looks like, you know. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll see her in the casket. Once I got there, I was like, I don't want to see this woman. Now, I was at the top of my head, and I was just like, no. They kept pulling me up. No, I didn't want to see her like that. It wasn't fair. I wanted to have a decent conversation with her. I didn't want to have to see her laying there, you know, not talking not smiling. It's just, it's a terrible thing to look at or think about. Is there a reason why you didn't explain in the piece why you never got to meet her? Was that a conscious decision on your part? Um, not really, because I wanted to explain. Then I was like, well, I'll just leave it for later. <laughs> and then I just never got a chance to do it. These are decisions that we make, though, when we put stories together like that. What you put in, what you don't. How, what yeah. you explain to an audience, what they, what you feel they need to know. Those are very tough decisions. Yeah. Well, it was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I, I was going to ask the same question um, because... It, it's you know no one can tell you how to write your story, but I was I was like it's this mystery I'm gonna find out at the right. end because I never met either of my grandfathers and there was bad blood and you know I was wondering is that the reason or you know whatever but um, I just wanted to say how much I loved your um, unscriptedness 
And um, you, you, well, obviously you were just speaking into a mic with no script and just, I, I loved that. I thought it was so, I, I think so much can be conveyed that way um, that's below the actual words that you're saying. Just, I don't know. I loved that. So I just want to say, good for you. Thank you. Yeah. And also the fact that you kind of use your own colloquial language. You know what I mean? And you talk like an 18-year-old girl. And, and I think that's great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh, no. because, because young girls' voices, I think, are so often like not considered authoritative, especially on the radio and stuff. So, mm -hmm. cool. Yes. Thank you. You don't have to if you don't want to. Thank you. I'd like to actually like the moment in the airport when you used the, how, how we knew that you were taking recording equipment and everything. I thought that was very clever. That was great. Okay. <laughs> You're done. You can breathe now. <laughs> Sorry, we're kind of running out of time, so I, I got to move along. I guess I was long-winded at first. Callie. Hi. You're next. No, but you're next on the, it's, on, it's easier that way. Come on, come on, move over. We have, um, Callie Dean um, is representing um, KBU. It's kind of a nice station on the Halloween weekend. Um, the Youth Collective. Um, and the Youth, uh, youth <laughs> focuses on high school-aged uh, Youth creates two radio shows a month, The Underground, a youth public affairs show, and Youth Randomonium, featuring original music and spoken word by youth. But you, you do stories for The Underground, right? This right. show, so it's a weekly show. And um, I don't know if you wanted to go into any of your personal background here that was on. Well, mm -hmm. okay. well this is kind of interesting to me. You, you're, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't live at home. You, you're doing an independent study program for school where you meet at a cafe a couple of hours a yeah, week? Yeah, it's pretty much I meet with my teacher at this cafe, and he's like, uh, you should read this book and write what you think about it. And he even encourages me to do, like, radio stuff. So radio is my school now. Because <laughs> wow. I got kicked out of normal school, and I didn't want to, like, become a slacker. And so I'm like, hey, I should find something that I'm interested in and, like, work at it. And so... Yeah. <laughs> So you've been doing radio for about a year and a half now. That's starting young, right? Yeah, yeah about a year. Well, I have to tell you that my 13-year-old uh, my daughter um, had been listening in the car on the, when I was listening on the CD to some of these stories, um, and um, she refused to get out of the car uh, when in, because we had to stop in the middle of Callie's uh, piece, and she just, there's no way. And we were really rushing somewhere, and she just would not get out of the car and maybe turn it back on. This is so much fun. It's, um, I will just tell you from the get-go, it's some of the best use of sound I've heard in a long time. <laughs> so just sit back and have a great time. Here's... Callie's piece. Yes, it's finally summer again. You know what that means. It's time for late mornings, short shorts, and slurpees. But even if you have a job or you're sent to summer camp or something, there's always going to be a point in time where there's just nothing to do. In my case, this is dangerous. 
Why? Because when there's nothing to do, I get bored. And when I get bored, I often get myself into trouble. Like last summer. It started off a gorgeous summer day. It was 90 degrees. I had just fixed my skateboard. I had some good tunes in my headphones and a green apple soda. All was well. The only thing that wasn't well was the bus schedule. The bus takes forever on Sundays. So for the first half hour, I waited. I paced. I kicked rocks. But then I pulled out my orange Expo marker. You know, the markers that wipe off of non-porous surfaces. Yeah, I thought to myself, hey, this plexiglass rain shelter is non-porous. I can draw all over it, and it'll wipe off. So without any caution, I made slow, carefree pinstrokes over the bus dome. I drew stars and giraffes and bubble letters, and I was just about to give my giraffe an umbrella when out of nowhere, my skull ricocheted off the plexiglass. I tried fighting off the mystery attacker, but after I realized it was a couple of cops, I lost hope. Cops are trained to kill. One officer was an older man with an unfriendly face, and the other, a young blonde lady, also with an unfriendly face. Neither had a reason to hear me out. It started ugly and got only worse. I was jerked up to my feet with my face in the corner of the bus shelter. Shall I cover? Hey, 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 wait, you yeah, I'm not so tight, jerks! Talking smack did not make the police officers loosen my handcuffs. In fact, it provoked them to dump out everything in my backpack, revealing my black book where I practice graffiti. I see you practice being a vandal. Do you think this is art? Well, I think it's shit. Who the f*** do you think you are? Pablo f- Picasso? Hey, let me go, jerk face! What the f***? Okay, hold up a minute. I mean, let's put things into perspective. I'll admit it, I was stupid in breaking a law, but the way this guy chose to enforce it was taken way out of proportion. First off, the marker wasn't even permanent. And second of all, it's one thing to lecture and another to insult. I just couldn't figure out how someone could be so hostile and then expect respect back. So, naturally, my reaction was defiant. What the f*** is your problem? Am I really that intimidating to you to where I have to chain me down? It's not like I'm running away or anything. You think you're tough? No, I don't think, you think you're tough. You think you run the streets? you're a jerk. And your scare tactics aren't working with me, dude. Don't call me dude. You know what your destination is, little missy. And defiance got me no further than the back of the cruiser. Watch your head. In spite of my protest, that slamming door had the last word. Within 63 seconds, the once beautiful summer sunlight had become fatal summer death rays. In case you didn't know, the backseat of a cop car is not plush and luxurious, but is in fact fully furnished with hard black heat absorbing plastic. Not to mention the bars on the window that make it impossible for anyone wearing handcuffs to open. So I thought through my options. I could, A, continue griping like I've been doing, B, start crying and maybe get some sympathy, or C, wait patiently. I tried plan C. I did nothing but look out the window for half an hour. I watched the lady who put me in handcuffs go into the Texaco and come out with an icy. I observed her and the other officer having what appeared to be a pleasant conversation. 
about their vacations they were about to take? About the Blazers? Maybe they were chuckling about the kid they were baking in their squad car. I tried to stay calm, honest, but after I saw her dump out the last two sips over Icy, I started fidgeting, started rocking back and forth, I started banging my head on the window and yelling, I have to pee! Really bad! I have to pee! I know they heard me. They just neglected my cries. I have to pee. <laughs> Hello? I could do nothing but anticipate my fate. And then finally, a big white SUV pulled up beside me. Another man with a badge came out. He started talking to the first two officers, and then came up to me. I didn't want to face him, but I sure didn't want to be in that car anymore either. This guy was a certified TriMet security guard, and it seemed he had a lot of other important things to do with. So he quickly let me out of the car and led me back to the crime scene. Still handcuffed and silent, I rubbed off some of my writing with my shoe. The guard said, don't do that. We need that as evidence against you. And then he took a picture of what was left. He gave a grumpy sigh, uncuffed me, and filled out an official TriMet citation. He handed me the yellow copy, stating that I couldn't take the bus for six months. With a shrug, I took it, shoved it in my pocket, picked everything from my backpack up off the ground that the other officers had just left, grabbed my skateboard, and took off. I'm not going to get too deep into the consequences, the court, the community service. But let's just say they sucked. And since it was all brought on by my boredom, this summer, I'm prepared to deal with it more constructively. You too can combat boredom. Why not go see some live music? Or better yet, start a band. If you're not banned from the bus, you can take it down to the river. You could teach your dog to pull you on a skateboard. You could build an aquarium for your goldfish. Or if it's too hot to do anything, you can make popsicles out of green apple soda. But whatever you do, learn from my mistake. Don't act on boredom's first impulse. For the KBU Youth Crew, this is Kat. This is a very uh, discerning um, radio producer here because Kelly just turned to me at the end and she said, that ending is so corny. <laughs> so is it? I, I rewrote it and everything. It was just very, because it does sound a little, it does sound different than that edginess of the rest of the piece. And it's really interesting that she, she felt it herself. But I just thought this was so much fun in your delivery and the way you put your sound effects together and reenacted this whole thing. I just, I just had a great time listening. I mean, that's, <laughs> what else would one say? I don't know. Tell us about it. Oh, wait. It, it took you six hours was to produce, I have here in that... Sixteen. Sixteen? <laughs> so put a one in front oh, of Oh, there was a six there. They missed the one. No, it took Sixteen me. hours? I cram my, we have this thing that we at KB like to call the closet, because it's like a five-by-five five little itty-bitty editing suite, and like, I was in there for a day, <laughs> just like... Just doing the sound effects. Like, I'd okay, take an hour break, go get some ice cream, okay, back in the hole, and it's because it's I had like... I don't know. We were trying to come up with extra stuff for the show, and I was like, hey, I should probably do something for it. And 
I tried. <laughs> so you had you experimented with sound effects like this before? No. And the pacing no and the timing. I mean, come on. How many years do we all work on this stuff to get the pacing right? And it's always a little movie off. But well, you know, your timing and your pacing, I thought, was beautiful. Well, thank Everybody you. Agree. Does anybody want to say anything? I mean, I just. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to say that I should have mentioned.